0: All right, I'm 30. We're coming uh, to uh, our uh, second part
1: of (laughs) the 44th generation. See, I still want to play baseball. I'm pinch hitting. What message are we sending? The uh,
0: topic last time was uh, what older men want younger men to know about themselves, and now we're flipping that around. What younger men want older folks to understand about them. So, uh, the, again, the motivation to this is to draw, uh, try to draw that uh, perception of, of a gap between the way that we think and the way that we act and all the things that are true about those other guys. And to see if there isn't just a little bit more cross pollination than maybe we would typically understand. The only way to get that happening is to start conversations and have discussions together. So that's one of the that's the motivation to this. Uh, thank you for the feedback from the first session. I had fantastic feedback, which speaks well of the panel and our and our moderator. Uh, I'm going to do all I can to uh, finish a distant second. With, <laughs> so it's up to you guys. All right. Uh, we are uh, pleased to have. Uh, four young men sitting on our panel. I'm going to start on the far end. Uh, Reed Wagner is pastor at Sycamore Bible Church in Trafalgar, Indiana, and works with us in Midwest Church Extension. John Godas is pastoring in Shawnee Bible Church in... Uh, Tell me your city again. Shawnee. Shawnee, Kansas. Kansas. Thank Kansas you. I always get which, which side of the line you guys are on uh, uh, mixed up there. And uh, and then Ken Chipchase, of course, is with uh, uh, Jefferson Town Bible Church, uh, soon to be Pillar Fellowship across the river in Jeffersonville. Uh, we're just going to have to look for Jefferson City next because we need to keep adding them up. And then we have uh, Jeremy Estrin is here as well. Now, he's a quick fill-in. I didn't get your bio, so you're going to tell us where you're pastoring in a moment. Um, uh, he agreed to sit in uh, as a token 40-year-old, since our 30-year-old that was in that spot is leading a seminar at the same time. And so he agreed to sit in with that, and I believe Jeremy will have a lot to contribute. Tell us where you're pastoring and serving right
1: now. So I act 30 <laughs> I, I am, uh, I I'm, I'm passing a Whitefield Community Bible Church in Colorado Springs, Southern Park. Okay, very
0: good. Thank you for uh, sitting in at the last second, Jeremy. We appreciate that. Um, we're basically going to ask questions in the same arenas that we discussed with our older folks so that you can see the cross-pollination. So we don't want to get far off topic. However, they're going to be framed differently. Uh, When I sent the questions to these guys, I wanted them to understand that they were intentionally provocative. Uh, When you are a moderator, you have to get the question that is out there. You need to put it in in, in a frame that will say, wow, that makes me react, I'm totally on board with where that question's going, or wow, that makes me react, I'm totally against where that question is going, and so the question is intentionally a set of questions to provoke that discussion, so I let them know, I'm not making any assumptions about any of them, but where the question will lead is certainly going to be of a stereotype, and how will you then interact with that, so they already know what these questions are going to be involved with, and uh, so let's go ahead and get right to it. Um, uh, gentlemen, we're going to start reading and work our way back uh, this direction just as we did earlier today. The first question is uh, I'll state the question and then I'll amplify it and then I'm going to let you answer. How does a younger man view body life in the local church? And the reason for this question is that in numerous occasions, um, you know the the old profile of a church is to have a certain standard roster of when we gather: Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, uh, board meeting somewhere in there, possibly a one night, maybe then on one of those other evenings, maybe not. And it, all that 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 then body life revolves around that schedule. Uh, do you see it that way? And yes or no, and why?
2: Uh, well. You know, we start talking about body life. And I think this is a great place to start. And I'm, I'd really be interested to hear what everybody here on the panel thinks. Because, uh, first of all, you know, when we start talking about the divisions of generations, older, younger, even though we recognize, yeah, there's stereotypes and not everybody thinks alike. You read enough articles and you, you're exposed to enough information about, you know, here's what millennials think. Here's what you know, uh, baby boomers or whatever. Uh, even though we know not everybody's unified in what they're thinking, we start to kind of just automatically uh, input what what we're being told about a certain generation. So uh, I think there's going to be a lot of variety here. As far as our church, you know, I, I think we're probably fairly similar to a lot of uh, what you just described with you know a lot of those things. Although I think all of us, including this, would go across generations here. Uh, recognize that in our churches we want a body life that's dynamic and personal, not necessarily programmatic. Um, now obviously you need uh, services and things that are going to facilitate that but uh, yeah, it's it, there's a much more of a dynamic uh, re- uh, reality to church life than just Monday night. And I know there's a uh, it seems to be a growing number of churches that are no longer meeting on Sunday nights or, or Wednesday nights, and maybe opting for things like small groups or, uh, you know, uh, other formats where people are gathering in, in homes and, and stuff like that. I think that's a good thing. I think that's uh, a healthy way to look at it. But I'd like to hear what these guys say, too. So. Amen. Right. John. Um
3: John. Yeah, I think I would say that a big thing um, for me is, because uh, our, our the, the ministry of the church is teaching but that the the variety of ways that teaching takes place within the body and, and so I, I love Sunday morning, I love the big gathering um, you know that doesn't need to go anywhere, that needs to stay um, but I think a big part of body life is expanding to be skillful in other areas um, as well, maybe um, we could talk numbers, small group, one-on-one, whatever, but kind of whatever, a lot of it comes down to what, um, I say this uh, understanding, not that I'm just driven by this, but what kind of where people are at, what they need. You know, Some people, um, they're just not going to be able to, um, they're not going to learn as much um, in the group, they're not gonna learn as much from the lecture, they're not gonna learn as much, uh, they, they may need to go out Personally, with with you and and learn something. So, I guess what I'm kind of trying to say is that I view body life as um, so much more than classroom instruction. Sometimes our structures can be that it's all about um, classroom instruction, um, the lecture, the whatever. But um, you know, I love it when I can when I can go over to you know a guy's house in the church or something, spend time with him and and that type of thing. And you know, I loved it when. I could be out um, in in real life and, and, and kind of, you know, beyond the Sunday gathering. The Sunday gathering is where, you know, we can, um, it's pretty limited in how much fellowship we can really have, how much interaction we can really have, and um, so I view it as much more than, than our gatherings, however the gatherings are um, needed, good, necessary, and, uh, but it's it's a both and, kind of all, a good, a good tension there. So
4: look at? Yeah, so I'm, uh, you know, one of the big words that, you know, you might think with all this, the word community, right? We want to try to foster a sense of community within the body, and there's different ways that that can be accomplished, um, And but it, it's got to be accomplished, right? That's, I think, I think the question is, is less about how do we foster a healthy body life and a sense of community, rather than the fact that, it's, it's gotta be done. And I, I do think there is a there's a limit to how much of a sense of community can be had just in you know the, the just in the Sunday morning service or just in the, the Wednesday night gathering. But I really also think that it's hard it would be hard to develop that sense of community without those things. You know, that if there's not a time when we're all gathering together as a whole body well, how are we ever going to even know who I can interact with throughout the week or I can maybe have a small group with someone? But, but there's in order to have that sense of community, you know, just trying to be creative about different ways to, to foster that. Uh, and I think that um, a big aspect of that is um, the aspect of discipleship that goes in within uh, the midst of all that as well. And everyone within the church having opportunities to disciple one another uh, trying to foster those kinds of kinds of things is is a good thing as well, uh, and that can be done through a variety of things. But like the small groups can be helpful for that. Um, but yeah, just community. It's that's to me that's that's a big uh, a big word for that.
1: Jeremy, I would say that you know we view it as a family. So um, you know the older ones uh, we treat as fathers and mothers. THE ONES MY AGE, MY BROTHER AND SISTERS, AND uh, THE YOUNGER ONES IS MY CHILDREN, Um, AND JUST just CREATING THAT FAMILY ATMOSPHERE WHERE WE'RE TOGETHER, uh, YOU KNOW, AND NOT TRYING TO SEPARATE BY AGE GROUPS, BUT INVOLVING EVERYONE IN THE FAMILY ATMOSPHERE. VERY GOOD, VERY
0: GOOD. SECOND QUESTION TO THROW AT YOU, KEN MENTIONED, uh, Uh, the topic of discipleship so let me jump down to that one so we'll start this one with brother john Uh, what is your desired approach in discipleship and leadership training and the motive behind this question is that um, a stereotype would be um, that many men of of established uh, ministries uh, often will approach it from a very academic response I'm thankful from our panel from before where we heard that that really wasn't so much their response. It was much more of a relational than maybe what the stereotype would have. Yet, we can also say we've known those that thought, "No, nope, let's all read a book together, get a certificate at the end, and you're an elder. Uh,
3: so, how do you view it, John? Yeah, well, I think, um, so kind of a broader discussion of what discipleship is. Um, there's a resource that uses three um a book that uses three words that I think help to to give me a, a holistic view of discipleship, and that its growth in conviction, uh, what I know, what I believe, its growth in character, who I am, what I do, and its growth in competence, ministry skill that I'm able to do. And so, um, so an approach to discipleship must, uh, in order to truly teach those things. Um, there must be instruction involved in that, but it must be so much more than that. You know, I, I can't I can't learn competence in the classroom, um, and and character is normally not going to uh, be learned just by merely sitting under um, sitting under preaching. But I, I, I would need someone also to be who's going to need to know me, who's going to need to ask me the questions, who's going to need to counsel me, um, and and as a pastor, me with with our people. Um, And I love, uh, you know, even the testimony of the disciples when um, Peter and John were arrested and they were taken before the Pharisees and and they were um, surprised at them, at Peter and John. It says, now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John, this is in Acts chapter 4, and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men. There's not not a lot of academics there. Um, And they were amazed and began to recognize them as... Having been with Jesus, you know, and that was the, um, and again, I am not anti-academic. I love the classroom, and um, uh, I, so none of that is to mean that, but just to get that full orbed, or that full, fully developed discipleship, there has to be this aspect that 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 we're with one another in it, that we're seeing how it's done. It's, it's caught and taught, and, um, and and a good. It's a both end. It's a healthy tension. Um, I grew up, I think. Um, with a good tension of that, a lot of classroom, um, but then also had a youth pastor that was very intentional to um, teach me how to study the Bible, how how to do some basic sermon prep and stuff like that. And then, and my church gave me opportunity to do that. Um, I still have no idea why, but they had a lot of faith. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that would be a few thoughts. Okay, Brother Ken. um.
4: I don't know that I have much to add to that. (laughs) Um, What is your desired approach to discipleship? Do it, (laughs) please, uh, please do it. Um, And that's to me that's that's a big thing. Um, You know, there's a lot of churches that that uh, I I think don't do discipleship well, um, and a lot of times, you know. I think a lot of times we, we get uh, these younger guys. We get a lot of idealistic thinking. You know, we're thinking in an ideal world. This is how everything would be, and, and then we find out, oh, hey, you know what? We're not in an ideal world, and then we got to try to work with what we have and and try to try to bridge that gap a little bit. Um, and so I think, okay, in an ideal world, if we're if our churches are doing discipleship well and leadership development well, we never have a pastoral search. Because we've trained and mentored young men to come up and step in and be the next pastor. We've, we never need to, to, to hire outside for, you know, a youth pastor or, or whatever else. We're, we're able to, to raise up men within us. And that's, again, that's an ideal world. And sometimes, you know, it doesn't work out that way. But but we need to be do we need to be trying, right? You know, if we need to be making intentional. I think that's the biggest thing is, is being intentional towards, okay, I am responsible for, for training the next generation and those behind me. That's, 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 you know, go therefore and make disciples. You know, that's, that's a charge that's given to us. And that's, that, that process starts, you know, conversion goes all the way throughout all of life. Discipleship is a lifelong process of helping others follow Jesus and do it. Please. You know, that's, uh, that's all I have
1: there. Good. Well, I love relationships. I think, um, discipleship comes from relationships and, uh, you know, I do a lot of discipleship through text messages. Um, you know, even 89-year-old, I text, and uh, he sends me back okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he can do much more than that. But not just seeing him on Sunday, but throughout the week, asking him, how are they doing? How is your relationship with God? What's God teaching you today? How can I pray for you? And, um, you know, some some I send more every day. Some I send every other day. But uh, relational, and then... Uh, leadership training, we do more. Um, we we get together. So every Sunday morning before church, we get together for an hour. We study together. We pray together, and um, and you know some of the younger ones have a harder time with that. Being there at seven thirty before church, uh, the eighty nine year old's there. No matter if it's raining, snowing, sleet, he's there, very committed. And yet, um, in that we build relationship. We talk about all kinds of things, and then we meet once a month as well. So it's a relational discipleship, um, and like I said, now it's through text messages. I never did that twenty years ago, but now it's more of that's the that's the thing. So staying connected with people throughout the week as well, and, um, in those kind of areas, of course, small groups and stuff like that. But.
2: Well, the thing I hear is that. Uh think about discipleship, there's there's kind of a, a teaching aspect to it, and there's a very personal aspect to it, and you're kind of trying to put those two together sometimes. I don't know if anybody here has uh, read that book called The Trellis and the Vine. Anybody read that? Um, so it's describing discipleship like a, a, the growth of a vine, but you got to have something to support the growth. And so you know we, we build programs, we build uh, our ministries in such a way as to support spiritual growth. Now, those programs aren't the growth, but they're there to support it. And I think that's a, a helpful illustration just to kind of think about, well, what are we doing as a church? What do we have in place as a church to help people to grow? Um, and uh, I think uh, Dave Laborde in, our, in the last panel discussion had a, some great comments on discipleship. Uh, And it was asked during the last panel, uh, what do you prefer, one-on-one discipleship or group (coughs) discipleship? You kind of need both, right? Uh, You know, there's some individuals and there's some cases where you're very uh, involved in one person's life. But, I mean, isn't Sunday morning worship discipleship? I mean, you're teaching the scriptures and instructing the people of God to obey and do all that the Lord commanded, right? So uh, it's not like, okay, this is our worship hour and then we're going to go do discipleship at some other time. It's like, it's, it's the, everything the church is doing should be discipleship. Um, but in different settings, different people, it's going to look a little different when you're discipling teenagers in your church than um, you know young, young children or uh, adults or seniors or something like that. So, so the trellis is kind of the the things that we build, uh, whether it's a Sunday school program, whether it's one on one meetings, whether it's like we've talked about on this panel and the previous one about you know just getting together with people and and spending time one on one. I would say all those discipleship. So I think everything um, that we should be doing as a church is geared towards discipleship. Okay, very good,
0: very good. Next, Next question. Um, Across the landscape of America, we see the um, uh, shifting as well as the rise of uh, a uh, trend where churches uh, would have very signature identifications in how they label themselves, their identity that they present as to who they are, uh, and how that is getting streamlined, even down to where you have churches with one-word names, Celebration. Revolution. Uh, I'm going to start one called Pandemonium. That's I, uh, 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 so, uh, as an older guy, uh, my question is uh, since you fellas are not pastoring one single name churches, um, about your peers, uh, the question we would ask would be what's up with that? <laughs>
4: all right Um, honestly it it's i think it's as simple as marketing and branding Um, and that doesn't have to be a bad thing that marketing and branding doesn't have it it can be a bad thing it can be it can drive uh it can drive improper uh, emphases and focuses within a church and if your if your church is driven more by business practices than the Word of God, you got a big problem. But it doesn't have to be. It's not inherently a bad thing. Uh, if you're trying to create a particular identity uh, for your church, um, and and uh, but I think I think I would say there should be caution with that. I think you know there's we should we should think through that intentionally about what your name communicates uh, to your community, um, but.
1: It's largely it's about marketing and branding. But we have four names. Oh, do you? Yeah, Widefield Widefield Community Bible Church, (laughs) and um, it's interesting that some people are there for the community, some people are there for the Bible, and um, you know, and 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 you look at the history of the church. A lot of it's gone into. It was just more of a community church with not a lot of Bible, then it went into Bible and they forgot about community, Um, but. I think I think the church that ha, and, and and this is unfortunately true. The church with the least demands is in the most demand.
3: Mm-hmm. And these
1: catchy words, you know, bring the people in, but there's really not any substance to it, and they want that. Um, saying that, we have to be careful of what we're we're doing. So um, I think the appeal is a. This relates to me. There's no demands there, um, but we need to be careful about what we what we teach. Them. So so does
0: the, the so is it just a, a, a trigger mechanism? Is that what you're saying? Like if they say celebration, uh, as, a, as a as an example, that that will be a trigger word to provoke a response from a potential attender?
1: It could be. Yeah, it could be advertising, yeah.
2: Reed. Uh I really don't know.
1: I don't I'm not
2: sure what the the thinking is I, I have a couple ideas I guess maybe I'm just thinking out loud here but uh, I think uh, I think Ken's right where it has to do with marketing and branding you know you think about uh, years ago all the restaurants and all the stores in any given town were all local right they were owned by people that lived in the town and now everything's national chains you know you got McDonald's and, and these very recognizable and they're very intentional about having you know the little arches and all the 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 colors and the symbols that go with it. And I wonder if churches are trying to sort of borrow from that mentality of, okay, we want to, you know, something real simple and, uh, something that's catchy and kind of, uh, that idea. I also think it's a, a, a push away. I think people are looking at statistics and looking at what, um, polls and things are saying and, and people are wanting to get away from any kind of denominational titles, you know, so Baptists want to lose the Baptist. A lot of these, um, Churches, you know, you start to poke around a little bit. Oh, it's a Southern Baptist church, but it's just, you know, regeneration church or something. Um, but they're they're reading surveys and things that say, well, people, you know, are turned off by something. Okay, so we'll we'll do that. Uh, but I, all of us, uh, like I think can't even said this, you know, all of us are going to do branding and marketing at some level. If you got a website, if you got a, um, you know, a logo for your church at all, you're you're doing that to some extent. Um, and, that's, and I think Ken's right. It's not necessarily a bad thing. you has just got to be thinking about why we're doing it. Um, and like I said, I, I really don't know why for all those uh, instances. But
1: It made me think of one thing. Um, my friend changed his church to Soterior, just one word, which means salvation in Greek. Oh, okay. And um, it just to take away the stereotypes from the people in the neighborhood mm-hmm. and the Jew people. Okay. Yeah.
3: Joe? Yeah, I think, um, I think there are probably you know, numerous motivations for it, but um, um, you know, on, on the one hand, like, uh, I think on the one hand so many churches um, like that can be more organized from the standpoint of that they, they, they have all these things in place, they, they, they very much have a pristine organization but then, like, but what are they really doing, again, for discipleship, for teaching, for preaching? Um, so, again, I would agree with Ken, and the other guy said, it's not bad. Um, but, like, I think there is kind of a danger in that, you know, churches are built. Um, they're, uh, for, for lack of a better word, they're just very sexy. This is what they want to be. You know, it's cool, it's hip, it's all this. And, um, you know, so there can be a danger there. And... Um, you know, a lot of people just don't even give a church anymore. Sadly, a lot of people just don't even give a church the time of day. You know, just if they don't have a cool website, if they don't have, um, if they don't have state of the art childcare or whatever it is. You know, and so, um, so I think there's a big pressure, yeah, for the marketing side of it. But um, but sometimes there can be good reasons to. Um, and I mean, a lot of like Greek names are kind of in vogue. like New Testament names. You know, and like that can be a way to really actually establish. A, um, establish a culture by that, you know, so.
0: Very good. It is, it is interesting. One of the things I see in church names is uh, a, a trend to um, uh, to go very, very simple, very, very basic. And a number of communities nowadays, I'm seeing the church in Woodstock, the church in Goodland, the church in Lafayette. You know, and, and it's like, that was because it was the church at that, business, the church at Cost. and so they're trying to mirror just that very simplistic thing and almost have no message, uh, except that we're simple. So, it, it, is that fitting in the same mentality that you guys are describing? I mean, you've, you've given a very balanced answer, and I really appreciate the way that you handled that, but do you see some of that in your own areas as well?
2: I haven't, I haven't noticed it, um, per se, but you know, and name communicates something about you. Um, so they're they're obviously trying to communicate something with just a single word. But I, that's why I think I love, you know, that we're a Bible church and that most, I think most everybody here almost represents Bible churches because that name says something about who, what we're about. Um, and that's what we want to be about, Bible. Okay. So. Well, I think you hear a lot of amens to that. <laughs> well, we appreciate that. Henry. Yes, sir. The church is
0: a specific group they are followers of Witness Lee. It's a Chinese base. It is a denomination movement It's a false cult. Oh, I had not heard, heard that. that. I talked to them. Oh. They say, we are the church in the city. All the others are wrong.
4: Oh, we right. are the church. Well,
0: I, I had not heard that.
4: There there are other groups, though, that call themselves the church at such and such that they have nothing to do with that group. Is that right? Yeah, there's are Southern Baptist churches that are the church at Louisville. Mm-hmm. So it's In not just, idea. it's just not just one part of Yes. church. Yes. Yes.
0: <laughs> well, that, that's, uh, uh, thank you for the input on all of that. Let's, uh, let's move to this next question. Uh, uh, Ken opened the door on the worship question. Let's do that here as well. Let you fellas interact with that as well. Uh, compare and contrast if necessary. Uh, your view of music as a pastor, as a leader in your church, uh, and, and worship—not
1: just restricted to music—with with
0: that of what would probably be a stereotypical Bible-believing church. And I think we're up to Jeremy to start us off.
1: Should <laughs> I pass on this? One. That's,
0: <laughs> 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 it depends on what your bravery or your courage is. <laughs>
1: it's it's still a hot issue and believe it or not um you know we 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 changed the constitution of the church we uh we moved the pews out the chairs we uh, renovated the building we never lost anyone in any of those things we put a guitar up and we lost families um and uh to me it's a sad issue um you know, I want my, my my philosophy of music is I want a nine year old and a ninety year old to be able to worship God there, Amen. without any problem, um, and I don't want to leave any of them out. And and yet I I, I find that there's there's the battle there still um, uh, between uh, the older and the younger um, in that, and, and it's unfortunate. I, I wish it would go away, um, but it just hasn't. So there's there's ways that you have to handle it in it. But my 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 view of music, um, you know, I I want to be able to. Uh, I don't want to bring people in awe of the musician. I want people to be in awe of God. Right. And and sometimes it becomes a show. And interesting enough that when we brought the guitar in, people said we went from more participating in worship to performance worship that was some of their view. And I didn't even see that and open my eyes to be more sensitive to that. We want it to be participated. We want everyone to be able to sing and to uh, worship God. So, so that's, uh, that's, uh, I, I wish it away. Um, but yet we need to deal with it as, as, as it's still an issue, no matter um, what you're going to be doing. So. Brother Reed.
2: Well, um uh in our church, we we struggled with that before I came. Actually, um, became uh, one of one of the larger issues that the church had to work through. Um, but I wasn't I wasn't there for most of that. But I think that uh, our church I, I, and my approach to music and worship is probably very similar to many of you guys out here. Um, I think uh, I think a lot of us have learned to kind of. Take what's good, both of the old and the new, and uh, you know, leave out some of the things that uh, are not helpful. And uh, I'm not saying we've all done it perfectly, but I mean, even just here at the convention, you know, we're not we're not just singing you know the same songs we were in uh, 1954 when we met for convention. Uh, so I think. I mean, I, I use a rubric uh, when it comes to wor- to music and worship, and basically, it's is it theologically accurate? Um, is it God-centered rather than man-centered? Um, is it uh, quality music? And uh, you know, things like that. There's uh, it's, so the question isn't you know what decade was the song written in? And uh, so far. I, like I said, our, our church had to work through this process. But at this point, I, I would think that our, our style and our uh, thing is very much like many of your churches, many of the old hymns and songs that we love, as well as uh, kind of the best of what's being produced today
3: as well. So, John? Um, I would first contrast my view with most churches. probably is I keep praying for an Episcopal church in our community to die. So we can get their building, a beautiful old, you know, <laughs> but, uh, and get get a, get a pipe organ or something. <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, a few things I would say. First of all, I think a big conviction I have is that um, the pastor does, uh, as far as a practical thing, the pastor does need to be involved in the music ministry, involved to some extent in choosing the music and and giving input because it's very, it is a teaching ministry of the church. You know, that's what Colossians, um, and Ephesians clearly teach. So, um, we, we want to raise up people into the ministry, but it is still something that, um, I think needs direction, needs input. And, um, you know, from a pastoral perspective, um, I think as far as style and everything goes, my basic mentality is, um, and, and I want to use the combination of the people that we have you know raising up raising up people into um, the, the role that they could be involved in the music you know do we um, and, and but to do that with excellence you know um, based on you know the people in our congregation and and uh, and those who join like what what ability they bring and I want to to see them grow up into being involved in the ministry. And and kind of that's, as far as style goes, I would want our church to be sensitive to that. Again, without it being, you know, about someone or some group of people in the church or something. but um, So kind of a discipleship mentality there. You know, let's hey, if we got that talent, let's use it. Let's let's train people up into it. Um, I think so much of it, uh, you know, when it comes down to, There there are different types of conflict, right? There are some conflicts that it's regards to something regarding sinfulness. There's a commandment for that, it's clear. There's conflicts of righteousness, you know, like what does the Bible really teach on this? We need to come back to that. Then there are conflicts of differentness, that forbearance is needed. And, um, you know, music can become one of the others, you know, if we're being selfish about it and and if we're being... um, um, yeah, I guess selfish is the word, but but most of the time, is our conflicts in music is, is it's just different, you know. And there's a lot of opportunity to learn forbearance. To um, you know, at my church, we sing songs that um, you know I, I, I'm not excited about always, and, and but it's again, it's always this opportunity of like that that you know what I can I can limit my desire out of love for others, and that's a worshipful thing. Um, so, um, worship being a, a broader context than music too. So, um, those would be a few things. I mean, I'd just say one practical thing too is to be aware of what's really new out there. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times there's, um, you know, uh, I like stand and we're going to sing this new song. Our God is an awesome God. <laughs> uh, I don't know when that came out, but I mean, and some good some good songs. You know that, but there's a there's a lot of good songs coming out today. Obviously I'm not talking about anything Tony was talking about yesterday. I there are some groups just to stay away from, but um a lot of modern hymns, a lot of old hymns being put to new music. I mean there's just a lot of good stuff out that we can be drawing upon and even like the whole worship chorus is kinda of, that was kind of a nineties thing. It's, well
0: let me follow that up that's an excellent point because uh, you, you're almost referring to that as, as more of in a you know, passe fashion mm-hmm. that, that 7-Eleven we use that uh, of, uh, cliche um, among your peers or yourselves however you want to represent it what are your tastes I know what my children's tastes are and their preferences and it's not the Seven Eleven mm-hmm. style. style would that be true of you
3: gentlemen um, yeah um, I just always think the 1990s weren't good to church music. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I think you're seeing, well, and I mean, I'll just say this with other areas in the church, like a lot of the reformed resurgence has, has brought some good things. It's brought Thanks. an emphasis upon expository preaching reading theology, hymns, you know, there's been kind of, that's, there's a a big push for that now, having substance um, in in singing. Again, not in the like, you know, New Apostolic Reformation circles, they're just off to their own thing, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I think um, even like the hymn versus chorus is kind of, that's not necessarily as much of a uh, battle anymore because, stuff more these days is a little bit more substantive, the good stuff that's coming out. Thank you for that input. Brother Ken.
4: Yeah, um, I agree a lot with what uh, what John said. I just want to add, um, music isn't the totality of worship. Mm -hmm. And I think we do ourselves a huge disservice when we call the worship time the music time, or the music time the worship time, and we're limiting it to that when prayer in church, that that's worship, and in the preaching of the word, that's worship, and the giving of the offering, that's worship, and all these elements, it's worship, and music is an important aspect of it, but it's an aspect of it, it's not the totality of it, and so I think I, I, I would want to make uh, that kind of distinction, um, and then yeah, I'm echoing, you know, a lot of what, what John said, you know, some churches that say, oh, yeah, we offer, we offer blended music, but in reality, they're stuck in 2002, you know, and really, okay. really wanting to see, you know, let's, there's so many great, great music being written today. There's so much great music being written today, and uh, I, I, I would list off just a few names and a few groups, to just if people to pay attention to, you know, City of Lights, The Gettys, Sovereign Grace Music, Matt Papa, Matt Boswell, uh, Stuart Townend, uh, Bob Coughlin, et cetera, these days just write so much great, singable, beautiful songs that communicate great theology. But the only other thing I think I would add to the rest of this conversation is making sure that we're having, you know, there is a didactic element to our, to our music, right? Our songs teach things. So we're being intentional about the breadth of what we're teaching with our songs. Do all of our songs. Are we singing songs in one category you know, that teach one aspect of theology only, or are we actually teaching more aspects of theology with our music? I think that's something to pay attention to, and uh, part of that would be consider um, incorporating songs of lament in your worship. Um, that's, it makes up a huge portion of the book of Psalms, and yet in our churches today, I don't think we know how to lament uh, and that's something I'm not saying I know how to do. I'm, I, I feel like I'm learning, uh, learning that aspect uh, even recently as well. Uh, but songs of lament uh, speak powerfully to uh, our human condition and where we're at, but then expressing our hearts to the Lord and, uh, and the Lord meeting us there. And so I think uh, a breadth of what we're teaching with our, with our music is something that, that we ought to pay attention to.
0: Very good Uh, Another question, Uh, how does, and this will lead to another follow-up question after all of you had a chance to respond, Uh, how does your generation, a younger man's generation, see the role of pastoral leadership? Uh, We heard some pretty uh, definitive, uh, uh, probably body-life altering, or certainly body-life at stake kinds of answers in the previous panel. Uh, how do you view, uh, in your generation's mentality, uh, the role of pastoral leadership? And I think we're up
2: to read. to begin with. So I'm um, answering what do I think or what does my generation think here? Um, whichever you choose to do or both. Okay. Because uh, I, I think and, and um, you know, I hate to speak for a generation, right? But, uh, you know, there, there's almost a sense and... and uh, Uh, a degrading, almost of pastoral ministry, and I think maybe it's it's kind of being promoted in the the name of oh we want to be authentic and real and and so on, um, and those things are good, but uh, you know uh, there's uh, when we talked and Tony was talking yesterday about you know the the skinny skinny jeans and the V neck. Um, obviously talking about sort of the charismatic um, expression of that, but even within churches that are much more to the mainstream and and much more uh, uh, theologically accurate, uh, there's a sense in which the role of pastor is, you know, kind of, I'm not saying it should be put up on a a pedestal, and you know, he he always wears a suit, and he always keeps his distance from his people, but there's almost a, a degrading of the pastoral role where uh, he's totally, you know, where they I don't know, it's just there's a, it seems to be a cheapening of that position and not, and that's going to be culturally as well as uh, in churches too. Uh, you know, there was a time when a pastor was considered an important member of the community and then it kind of went to, well, he's just generally respected to now i think it's sort of just oh your pastor (coughs) hardly anybody thinks anything of it and i think coming in maybe a generation or two is going to be the day when pastors viewed as subversive that you're part of the problem you know you you guys are are the problem with society and you know get out of my sight um so but as far as uh you know kind of how i view it I, i think that um The pastoral role really is just that of the shepherd, right? I think we could all agree on that. To shepherd people. uh, So that does mean uh, being with the sheep, right? Does mean um, being available and open to them, but still remembering that we're representatives of the Lord. And uh, uh, I think there's a lot that our generation, has cast off from the previous generation that we probably should have learned um, and and vice versa. I think there's some things obviously an older generation can learn as well, but uh, I, it kind of makes me sad to see, uh, you know, well that's the way the, old, the older generations did it. We're going to reinvent it. It's like there was a reason those things were done the way they were um, and not everything was good, but I, I do see those types of things going on. But the, you know, being a shepherd is the key concept, I think. But I'll pass it along. Well, I want you to hold on to
0: those thoughts because that's going to be directed toward my follow-up John. <laughs> okay.
3: Yeah, I would say, um, and this is a good thing and a bad thing, but I, I think younger people, um, younger guys, increasingly are, um, are hoping – that their pastor can really help them, um, as as more you know, as, as our culture just continues to have more and more problems, um, I think people people are um, it kind of that from the shepherding aspect they're wondering, you know, I mean, look, I I know you can teach, I know you can teach Genesis, but you know, but I but but lust in my life is out of control. Can you help me with that? Um, and so again that that's a good thing and a bad thing. I get we don't we're not just needs driven and we're not you know, we don't want to be so focused on problems that then now then we're not, you know, exposing the word and because everyone needs every part of God's word. Um, but I think that's becoming increasingly a thing that people are younger people are are that that are attracted to the church are looking, is this ministry of this man leading this church is it an informational ministry or a transformational ministry? Um, and I think there's a lot to learn there. Um, that's really what pushed me into biblical counseling, trying um, to be able to, you know, if I can minister the gospel to someone um, in in that way, um, if, if I can if I can kind of if I can get them by showing them that the word is transformational in their life, then. And then they're getting victory, and they're growing, and they're changing. Then their conscience is going to clear, and they're and and, and we're going to find people. Uh, I think we can find some young guys that will be very committed to the church, but they're wondering. But are you going to help me, or are you, or am I going to not ever really be known, or or, or helped? Thank you. Ken? Um.
4: The role of uh, pastoral leadership. I think our uh, our generation. Um, really likes the idea of of teamwork in a lot of ways, uh, and and I, I'm, I can't say I'm excluded from that because I, I, I appreciate teamwork and, and and things like that as well. Um, but how that works itself out into 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 ministry, um, I believe in a plurality of elders, and I believe in a plurality of elders, uh, and so.
1: What do you believe? In? <laughs>
4: <laughs> but so when you look at you look at Scripture and what uh, what is what the commands are to uh, you know to Ephesians four you know like God has given these these uh, these gifts to the church for the equipping of the saints for the building up of the body for the work of the ministry right and so the the, the role of the pastoral leadership and I say pastoral leadership I include the elders in that. Because uh, the elders are commanded to shepherd the flock of God. and and, I, and biblically I don't see a qualification distinction between a senior pastor and a lay elder. Now I recognize roles are going to be different and that's that's just a reality, right and there's there's going to be some role, but but the function, the essential function is the same. The pastor senior pastor and the lay elders, they both have the same charge to equip the, the flock to, to, to shepherd the flock of God, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And uh, so, in a lot of ways, I see the uh, pastoral leadership. The I see the senior pastor as being someone who is seeking to equip the elders, who then can equip uh, can equip the rest of the body of the church as well, and share the shep- a lot of the shepherding responsibilities. Um, I think elders are pastors. <laughs> some of the dynamic is going to be different just because of you know, there's there's the the senior pastor. He's up in front all the time, and you know, there's just going to be some natural some. Uh, differences there, and maybe you call them the first among equals, or however you want to phrase it, but I, I do think that the, that the elders are pastors, and uh, should function as elders are called to function uh, according uh, to, to the biblical mandate with that, so.
1: So, how do I view pastoral leadership, or what is the younger man, you know, I, I believe we lead by example. Um we lead by exhorting the others. We lead by expositing the scriptures, and we lead by equipping others. But I, I think the big thing, difference now is, you know, it used to be that pastors would be in their office forty hours a week. Um, we become more WFA's working from anywhere, um, and and that's kind of a, a difference. and And so, how do younger people see the pastoral leadership? It's interesting that. I was in my office, and a younger person said, you know, why are you here? You know, and didn't get what that meant. Um, and so it's, it's a different kind of a, but we lead by example. We lead by exhorting. We lead by exposing the scriptures. Um, and, and we lead by equipping others. But it's a shared leadership. Uh, it's not a one-man show. And that's where elders help you with that.
0: Um, this is my bridge question to the to the razor edge question. Okay, um, your generation does it have is it is it accurate to say that they have a perception or perhaps a um, an amalgamated image of pastors in the past? Uh, the amalgamation would consist of authority, um, a man of God standing in the gap. Um the man who is both protector of the flock and the parent, the father, elder of the flock, um, all wrapped up into one, and is it, it, do they do they perceive that of previous generations? the turn in collar the whole thing and resist that, reject it, despise it, or do they have it in any kind of a regard? Uh, how, how, what is their reaction to that perception? Or is, it, is that even a fair representation of, of their view of leaders of the past? <laughs> <laughs> On so the
1: coin. Uh, <laughs> 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 seeing the pastor as the authority and that
0: an amalgam of it but yeah if you just isolate on authority do they see that as like that's an authoritarian puritanical type of guy do
1: they view older men that way look at the shift in society well you know it used to be that when a kid was acting up the teacher could go to the parent and say you know your kid's acting up now it's the teacher's fault it's not the the child's fault Uh, the same thing in the church um That less and less, seeing it as an authoritative role, it's getting less and less. um, uh, That's where relationships are important.
3: I think it's a strange mixture because you have, um, with young people, that they want to do what they want to do. But at the same time, many of them, um, they're they're looking for fathers. They're looking for older men to kind of be that. Um, and, And when they... You know in, in their in their rebellion, they might push against it, but um, but I think it's a sweet thing that you see when young people um, have that and and they understand when they're taught biblically to understand what what the pastor what the elders are that then there there can be a lot of respect there so. <laughs>
4: Uh, can you name a generation that, when they were young, didn't want to cast off authority? <laughs> I mean, you look that's back at right. the '60s and the '70s, and you know that sort of thing. I, I don't, I don't know if that's uh, something that's necessarily unique to a generation, but I think, I think we do see that. Uh, you know, you look. I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, with Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Are you familiar with him? He's someone I think you should be aware of just because of the prominence that he has and the influence he is having. Um, but he's a big advocate. He's, he's not a Christian, first of all. He's a secular psychologist, and a lot of his ideas are downright dangerous. Uh, but he is gaining a huge following amongst young people because he's teaching young men to be men. He's teaching young men to take responsibility for themselves and to, to be men, to... to Stand up straight and, and to and to be men, and it's gaining a huge, uh, huge following of young people that have been desiring that. When there's been so many people that have been pandering to young people and pandering, you know, to a lot of a lot of different things, and yet here's a guy that says, "No, be a man," you know, and and it's really, um, it's really taken uh, taken on a huge life of its own in a lot of ways, um, and. It almost speaks to something uh, that you you might even say a failure within society, and maybe even a failure within the church that we've not taught our young people how to do that and how to take responsibility. So, and we crave that. You know, we're we're you know we're created to be in relationship to our heavenly Father, and. and Who's a, God is the ultimate authority you know you can't get around authority you know no matter and, and every, I think uh, there's a there's a big movement that's recognizing there has to be an authority and I'm finding out where I'm a lousy authority as an individual and I think society as a whole is figuring out I'm a lousy authority and so then where are we searching to for that authority and if we're not there to provide the ultimate authority of God's Word, And I think I may have just gone a different rabbit track from the original question about authority, but um, I think there is a hunger and desire for someone to teach me, you know. I wanna be taught. I wanna be taught, I wanna be led, you know, type of idea. Okay. I don't I don't think I have anything to add to any of that. Well then I'm gonna
0: pull the razor out. Here we go. This graph has been, you know, we've done this and we're here ready to go. If you were to pull most men. I'm going to. I'm going to be arbitrary with my numbers here, but if you were to poll men 50 and older who have opportunity to intersect with men in their 20s and 30s, um, uh, you would find that anecdotally they will have had <coughs> an experience uh, where they can say uh, they, they feel like the elder advisors to King Rehoboam where they have given counsel that was very prudent counsel or they've offered of themselves in a very giving, serving, uh, I love you and I'm very interested in your life uh, spirit and they their uh, their experience would be that they've been scorned they will say that they have uh, been uh, held in zero regard um, while those same individuals then turn to the younger advisors to draw about the complete of the story and, and then they watch things unfold and there's no apology no humility no no reflection back that, forgive me for blowing it and for not thinking that you had something to contribute. Uh, I believe I know all of you well enough to know that you are not those men. Um, among your peers, do you see those kinds of individuals? And is it a generational thing or not? Because I'm gonna, I would say to you, if you were to pull a 50-year-old here? You might be surprised how many would say they've had that experience. How would you respond to that? Your spirit, your attitude, uh, would you confront
4: your colleague, your peer? What would you do? I spoke last, so I feel bad speaking first. (laughs) Isn't it interesting that you used an illustration from the Old Testament? Going back thousands and thousands, how many generations removed are we from from that illustration of Rehoboam? And yet, here we are asking that question of you know, the same of another generation. You know, it's—I don't think it's a new problem. You know, and, and the fact that the illustration is is from uh, the Book of Kings, you know, that, that demonstrates it's not a new problem. Um, and it is a problem. You know, we—I think we, we should all recognize that that when that happens, it is a problem if we're not getting in, wisdom and input from a variety of, of sources, and and uh, especially. Especially those who have gone before us. If we don't recognize that we're standing on the shoulders of those who have come before us, well, what are we doing? You know, it's, it's not going to go well. <laughs> you know, and and I think I would illustrate even from. I can remember in uh, in Bible college, my first couple of years of Bible college, where you know I'm hanging out with all my buddies in the dorm and stuff, and and I'm you know i have you may and very you know young and immature and. And thinking that I've you know got life all together I'm figuring this all out and I'm getting advice from all my buddies Any time that I got advice from my buddies and acted on that things went bad <laughs> it, yeah, it just went poorly. Now you and John were buddies in school yeah <laughs> but if I called my dad, if I called my grandpa if I called my pastor, and if I called my, if I talked to my professors and asked them, what do you think I should do? You know what, how would, how do you react to how, you know, here's what I'm going through. <laughs> you know what? Things just went so much better. And, and I would say that in a positive way, in a negative way, steering me towards positive decisions and steering me away from negative decisions. And if we don't recognize that. And, and I would, but I would also say on the flip side, I think there's a give and take with that where I think younger guys have a lot uh, to bring to the table and a lot of input that I think a lot of older guys can learn from as well.
0: Can, that, and you know what? You just echoed the theme of this. <coughs> what can older men learn
4: from mm-hmm. younger men?
0: Not only that you have something to offer, but that you want to know that you're going to be heard. Yes. Heard mm-hmm. And accounted for and, and respected for what life is still ahead for you as, as you do. something. <coughs>
1: I would tell those, though, in the fifties and and older, that don't take it personal when we don't accept your counsel. Um, the Holy Spirit has to work in our lives, and sometimes He brings those those moments of not taking that counsel to teach us a lot more than if we did take that counsel. And sometimes uh, the older man can take it personal. Um, the best advice I ever got from an older man was. You wait. <laughs> I thought I knew ministry better than God. And, and my pastor just said, You wait. And boy, was he right. And so he didn't take it personal. And sometimes an older man can take it personal. And and, and, and I wouldn't take it personal. Allow God to work. Um, and he and he will. And, and so I, I, I that would be... Um, the advice—that's
0: a fair balance, and not easy to yeah. take, yeah. but it's a fair
4: balance.
2: Yeah. And I guess, uh, kind of, on the back of that, I would say, um, also, <coughs> don't, don't give up doing that. I mean, because okay. somebody didn't listen to you, and you know, yeah, and it's a painful thing, but um, especially us uh, younger guys who are here at IFCA convention. Um, I remember when the first convention I came to um, a couple of years ago. I I would have liked nothing better than for uh, you know people to come up and just express interest beyond just you know hey how, where are you from what's your name you know and really uh, have that opportunity to kind of what advice do you have you know anything anything I get and I think I think most of us younger guys around here would love love to have. Um, the older pastors from here at the IFCA, uh, you know, take us under their wing a little bit, and and you know, give us a phone call after convention's over. Mm. Um, you know, I, I know a few years ago we we talked a lot about mentoring <coughs> here at the convention and things, you know, and, and trying to build mentoring relationships. Um, you know, and and new guys are coming in, um, little by little. You know, you start to see a newer face here and newer face there. Um, uh, you know, I would love that. I think these guys would love that to be able to just uh, kind of build mentoring relationships. Uh, once again, uh, there's always a risk in building a relationship, right? Uh, there's always uh, potential for for hurt, and and you know, somebody may not listen. Uh, but that's, I mean, we're all taking those risks all the time, not just with younger people, right? But every all the relationships we have, so. Uh, yeah.
3: Yeah, my main encouragement was yeah, just to, to keep at it because um, it's easy to take personally. It's easy to stop. And, uh, young guys are dumb a lot of the time, so <laughs> we just need to hear it, you know, several times. Um, uh, I have uh, a man in our church, uh, Jerry Lee. He's from Southern Missouri, and this um, I grew up. He's in a, he's almost eighty now, and he'll say he'll say, John, I've done things that would make you look like Ned from the Third Reader and uh you know but like um and i'm I'm constantly encouraging him to to you know to be be a mentor and he's reading all the stuff and he's studying and um but the thing i was trying to encourage him is to help the young guys to to understand to 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 question what they want i mean you can't get deeper than to get down to what you want that's the essence of the heart i desire such and such that's why i'm doing such and such and that's why I'm not listening. That's why. I, and like, if we can, that's just all James for. We get down to the desires that war within us. Um, you know, I, th- I think an older man coming along and, and getting to the heart, helping me to see that. Um, you know, that, that, that's what we need as young guys. And so, yeah, don't take it personally. Keep it up. Um, you know, we can be dumb. So please love us and, and keep at it. So. Well, gentlemen, you've done very well
0: today. I can tell you this. Uh, it, 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 if you are the representation of the IFC future, it's going to be in some good hands. We have very high regard for you. Thank you for the way that you handled all our questions. Oh, are you good? My been a clock is going to be our enemy, so I'll give you one shot. Just a, just a quick but. Uh, okay. As you were talking about that, next year, Henry, I don't know if your line goes back to your, who you're working with, but it uh, might be nice to take. Uh, Offer a workshop where younger, younger pastors, older pastors volunteer and randomly put them together for an hour of workshop. So, really good. Yeah. And you know what? That's a fantastic idea. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll see what we can do about that. Alright. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate that. Any other quick points of input? Quick. And it's gotta be quick. Yes, brother? Oh, man, the high ends are going up now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I guess say that, um, here and young guys that would like to have a relationship with older men. Um, or we used the lone wolf illustration in the first session. Um, there's some fear factor involved with that idea of wolves are scary, especially when they're alone. But I want to be available to young men, but, um, rather than giving them the, our opinion and all of our acquired wisdom, <coughs> all the mistakes we made. Uh, Learning to ask good questions uh, as to where they are build a relationship with young men. Uh, we need to seek them out, but um, it's okay to be thought out, too. Asking questions of older guys sure. is something we all need to practice. There's always somebody out there older than us, more experienced than we are. Yeah. But, well, these no matter are... how old we get of you mentioned, I think collectively I can say they, they were very much about the give and the take and that's exactly what you're reinforcing. Thank you all for coming. I know I, I please come and interact with these folks.